I want you to turn to uh, the book of Psalms 100. Book of Psalms 100. We're going to look at that entire psalm. It's uh, just a few uh, verses, but it contains a powerful message. My first Thanksgiving without the one I love. That's what she wrote and said. She lost her husband this past year in a tragic accident. And in her approach to Thanksgiving, having a toddler and, as a matter of fact, this month she's having their second child, only he's not here any longer. My first Thanksgiving without the one I love, and she asked the question, can I be grateful? And her answer was yes. She went on to narrate all that she is thankful for. Thanksgiving could be that for some. In the face of some hardships and difficulties and challenges and excuses to be negative and pessimistic, uh, you have to dig deep. And bring to the surface what you're grateful for. Thanksgiving is a favorite holiday for many, myself included. And I think even more so because as Christians, believers in Christ, Thanksgiving has spiritual overtones. It has been an annual tradition in the United States since 1863 when President Abraham Lincoln made a presidential proclamation and it was actually enacted as an act of Congress. It was enacted, Thanksgiving was, at the height of the Civil War. We experienced over 600,000 casualties in that war, the bloodiest war in American history. Vicious, family against family, bloodshed, vitriol, hatred. It represents one of the worst episodes in human history. And yet, in the midst of that atmosphere, President Abraham Lincoln had the inspiration to declare a national day where we're going to stop, we're going to pause, and we're going to give thanks to God for his blessing and his grace. Someone said that the sentiments of gratitude is the prose of the Bible. And that really is so very true because gratitude and thanksgiving saturates the narrative of the Bible. And this is very, very deep. Deep. And I say that because what I'm talking about is not lip service or a a one-day-a-year event or something you might say, but you don't really mean it. 
It's something that has to be deeply embedded in the human soul. Otherwise, gratitude won't survive, and negativity and complaining is what's going to prevail. Because those things sometimes seem to be more deeply embedded than thanksgiving and gratitude. Thanksgiving and gratitude in your life won't survive on the surface. They'll end up getting blown off the surface, crowded out of the, there won't be any room left. That's why gratitude has to be planted. It has to have roots and sink very deeply into the roots of your being. That's why what this woman said, my first Thanksgiving uh, without the one I love, can I still be grateful? Yes, she said that because uh, Thanksgiving has roots. The word soul or the idea of the soul is one of the most important words in the Bible. We are spiritual beings. Our lives are made up of far more than what's on the surface. Far more important what is on the inside of a person than anything that is on the outside. That's why it's so troubling to me when I see Christians sacrificing the opportunity for internal growth for some sort of outward reward. You won't see them in church because they're pursuing job and career and money outward, but their inward life. You have to find a way to do both and prioritize the latter of those two. That's why Paul wrote, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Dallas Willard, a commentator made an interesting statement about the soul. He said, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. The soul is the life center of human beings. What we're going to find out today, we're going to find out how healthy our soul is in the context of whether thanksgiving and gratitude has roots in your being. Let's read this great uh, psalm, Psalms 100, in your Bibles. The Scripture says, make a a joyful shout, verse 1, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, uh, and not we ourselves. We are His people. And the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you today. We all gather together to thank you. And to praise you, Lord God, let this verse, this scripture, these words leap up out of the pages and enter into the depths of our heart. 
Lord, I pray for a spiritual revolution in every single life that is characterized by joy, by victory, by your dominion being established here today. And I cast down, O God, all ingratitude, every spirit that is contrary to gratitude and love and faith and thanksgiving. And, Lord, we praise you for the cleansing that you will perform at these altars this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. All right. Let's look at the password that is required to enter into his presence. Passwords have become a very annoying necessity and a very important feature today. Passwords determine where you can and where you cannot go. We all need, if you're at all functional today, we all need multiple passwords to get around today in the technological world that we live in. And I am terrible at this. I have some passwords in my head. Some are scribbled down in various places that when I wrote them, I said, I will not forget where this password is written. Anyone who gets a password of mine could have a field day because my passwords uh, all relate to the same original word. I do that so I don't forget. I know it's dumb. I know David Rodriguez is looking at me and thinking, you fool. But that's the only way I can function with passwords. And then the experts tell us, that guy sitting right there, that we're supposed to change our passwords every few months. Are you kidding me? We've all had the frustration of using a password that isn't working, but you're sure it's the right password. Maybe I used caps. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I put a number at the beginning. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I put it at the end. Maybe not. And we're going nuts trying to figure this out. And then when we see the word invalid password, when that enters your screen, you cannot enter. You can scream at the computer, smash it with a baseball bat, get frustrated, mad, and angry, blame your wife, your kids, or your dog, but you are not getting in Unless you have the right password, invalid password means you're not coming in. I travel a lot. When I'm waiting at the gate to get onto the plane, the door's closed. And it's a safe security zone. And the uh, woman or the man at the gate has a password or a card of some kind they swipe or they know the number that needs to be punched. I don't know it. I can't get onto that plane unless somebody who has the password is going to open that door and then I can get access and fly at 500 miles an hour to get where I'm going. Sometimes you'll see a sign that says, Authorized Personnel only. That means you cannot enter there. You're not authorized. Only those with a password can enter. 
What we're talking about this morning, and this is an extension to some degree of our Sunday school, is access. We're talking about a password that is necessary in order for you to gain access. We know that in the kingdom of God, there are certain places that you can't go unless you have the right password. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says uh, regarding the children of Israel, uh, they could not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. So what was the password in order to enter the promised land? It was faith and trust and obedience. They didn't have the password. They were denied entrance. If you want blessing. In the financial realm, in order to enter into a dimension where God oversees your financial interests, uh, protects your financial interests, uh, and can bless you uh, and help you, uh, you have to gain access to that arena with a password, and it is called tithing. It's a password. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse uh, that there may be food in my house, uh, says the Lord. And try me now in this if I'll not open you the windows of heaven. So there's a password uh, that gets the windows of heaven open uh, that releases the blessing uh, that's on the other side of that window. The text is about God's presence. And it is about whether we qualify to gain access into his presence. We don't like to think of God's presence this way. God's presence is everywhere. I'm a Christian. I have access. No matter what I think, what I say, what I do, how I act, where I go, I have access to God's presence. We don't like to think of God's presence. As something that is conditional. I go to church. I have the same dimension of God's presence as the next person. Not true. That isn't true. We take so much for granted today. This is the idea behind having a holiday of Thanksgiving. Because if we don't have a holiday, we're not going to be thinking about what we're grateful for. We have to stop. We have to pause. We have to take time to be grateful. We have to dig deep sometimes into the depths of our soul because life is stress. Life is disappointment. Life is wounding and hurt. And in the midst of that, we have to dig deep and cultivate a spirit of gratitude. The Sunday school series that we're doing, The Tabernacle in the Wilderness, is all about God's effort to teach the children of Israel and us about His presence, about His holiness, and about the password and the conditions that have to be met in order to gain access into His presence. 
The text that we're using in the Sunday school, build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God was present with the children of Israel, but he wasn't dwelling among them. That's what we're learning in the Sunday school. There's a difference because there are attributes and there are conditions to gain access into his presence that they needed to learn. Coming into God's presence is not a come-as-you-are proposition. How you come matters. You can't just go into the Apple store, I mean online, without a password. You can't just go onto a bank website without having a password. The issue, how you come, matters. A lot of people would want to enter into a bank website or a government website or the Department of Defense website with bad intentions. And so access is denied and access is blocked unless you come with a password which proves that you're coming a certain way. Have you all ever heard of a come-as-you-are party? Have you ever heard of that? A come-as-you-are party is, is something that is hastily, spontaneously organized purposefully at an odd hour, maybe 11 at night, maybe 4 in the morning. And a notice goes out, either in the old days it would be a phone call. Uh, today you could, you know, do it a number of other ways. But the idea of this come-as-you-are party is you're supposed to drop what you're doing, get in the car and go. You don't wash, you don't clean, you don't comb, you don't brush, you don't lipstick, you don't eye makeup, you don't change. And that's the fun of it. It's come as you are. And everybody just shows up in different levels of unpreparedness and it's all funny and don't invite me to one. You know, sometimes I think that we treat the kingdom of God that way. Come as you are. And so we do. We come with our anger. We come with all of our funky attitudes. And we exhibit them in the church. Uh, People that we won't talk to because we're mad at. Uh, People that we're uh, uh, distancing ourselves because they offended us. Uh, And we come as we are. It doesn't matter to us how we come. Uh, We're here. We're present. Uh, That's all that matters. Uh, God's presence is here to welcome me. We expect... To be able to enter in, but you don't have the password. Have you ever seen a sign in a restaurant? I don't know if we see them around here. They're pretty informal in El Paso. But you see signs in restaurants. Usually, I think it's like in a beach area. No shirt, uh, no shoes, no service, no possibility of me walking in anywhere without a shirt. But that's for some people. But the sign says no shirt, no shoes, no service. They're denying you access because you're not ready. Have you ever been to a restaurant, probably not, where it says proper attire required? have to have a jacket and a tie. Or you can't enter. You can't. Not coming. Sometimes we treat the church as a come-as-you-are affair. 
There's unforgiveness. There's disobedience. There may be rebellion. We might be mad at God for one reason or another. You know, every married couple, probably nearly every married couple, yes, every married couple that I know of, that's human at least, has had the experience of having a a, a, a knockdown, drag-out fight on the way to church, and then something happens as soon as the tires hit the parking lot. You open the door, everything's wonderful. What's the password in order to enter into God's presence? The password is thanksgiving. That's what the scripture says. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You could be physically here, but not entering into his presence like others are, right? You could be unsaved or backslidden or mad or in sin or not right or angry. You know, all kinds of things can be working in your life, and yet the person next to you lifting their hands, lifting their voice in repentance and humility and gratitude, in love, they're entering into something you're not, you see. Listen to a fascinating translation of this text. It's a Not a translation, it's a paraphrase. I'm a little leery about using paraphrases, but I like this one. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. Enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home. Talking praise, thanking him, worshiping him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous love, loyal always and ever. The gate, when it says... Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's the first place you come to. Outside, gate, then you're inside. You gotta get past the gate. In order to get past the gate, you have to have gratitude already in place when you're outside the gate. You don't get gratitude and thanksgiving when you put your hand on the doorknob to come into the church. It has to already be there has to already be present in your life. It has to be what your lifestyle and your heart and your attitude. It has to be something that has roots in your character and in your being. And then you can enter. And then it says into his courts with praise. Courts is deeper. Courts is beyond the initial entry point. In order to enter, thanksgiving has to be present. And then once that has all been enacted, you've got through the initial door with thanksgiving. Then praise begins to be expressed. And thanksgiving and gratitude and all the attributes of your love and and such for God. And then you can Continue to flow in and enter into a very special, uh, very powerful, uh, very transcendent dimension uh, of God's supernatural presence in your life. That gratitude describes how we live, how we think. 
It describes our disposition, the attitudes of our hearts uh, when we're outside the gate. Uh, and so, therefore, it's present uh, when we come. Uh, and when that thanksgiving uh, is evidenced uh, and acknowledged as present, uh, you enter in. And then you have access to the courts uh, through praise. Uh, and you begin to worship. Uh, and that transcendent dimension of God's ministering power uh, uh, descends upon your life. Uh, and you can enter into something super. Supernatural. We could be in the same building and in the same place. One enters with thanksgiving and then furthers the advance through praise. Other is doing neither. They're there geographically side by side right next to, but they're not having anywhere near the same experience. Doesn't mean they can't. They just aren't. Psalms 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Have you forgotten in the midst of the trouble that we encounter, the disappointments that we go through, the offenses and wounds that we have to endure? Have you forgotten? Sometimes we do because uh, Thanksgiving is only on the surface. uh, And then when disappointments come, uh, they tend to push that aside. uh, And then an offense comes. uh, And then some failure of ours comes. And pretty soon the surface is full uh, of all the problems and pressures. uh, That's all we see. uh, That's all we talk and think about. That's all we deal with. uh, And because Thanksgiving Thanksgiving uh, is not deeply rooted in our being, uh, it begins to evaporate from the surface uh, and we're no longer able to express any kind of gratitude. Oh, give thanks, Psalms 105, to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk uh, of his wondrous works. Talk. uh, You have to give voice. uh, Talk of his... How much, how often do you do that in your home? with your children, your husband. Uh, is it ever what Jesus is doing, uh, what God did in my life? Uh, if you ever show uh, your children or your husband uh, a scripture, uh, a revelation, uh, something God showed you that day, uh, is the presence of God real? Uh, and has it been activated day by day in your life? Uh, give thanks to the Lord. Uh, talk of all of his... Who are you talking to uh, in your life about all the wondrous works of God? The password of thanksgiving is what enables you to enter and enjoy the presence of God. You will show me the path of life, Psalm 1611. uh, In your presence uh, is the fullness of joy. Well, then how come some people who come are not joyful, angry, sad, miserable, have a Facial expression that looks like they've been sucking on lemons. And then someone right next to, they're, they're overwhelmed with joy. They're overwhelmed with this awareness and consciousness of God's magnificent, glorious, wonderful presence. It's because they've had access to that by the password of thanksgiving. I want to talk secondly about the enemies of gratitude. Try this experiment. It's going to take two days to, for you to, for you to, uh, do this experiment. On the first day, from the first thought, the first word that flies out of your mouth, all day long, 
Only negative, only complaining, and only pessimism. Nothing else. Don't think anything else. Don't say anything else. Oh, I know you can do this. Don't look at me like that. Just give voice to it. Go ahead and vent like you have never vented before. Complain to everyone. The checker at the grocery store. What a miserable day, don't you agree? How awful it is. It's going terrible for me. I bet it's terrible for you. Every thought, everything out of your mouth. Let it be nothing but complaining and negativity and pessimism. Let your pessimistic self free. Just let him or her go. It's not going to work. It's hopeless. You'll probably fail. Things will only get worse. Uh, Come on, you know the drill. I know you can do this. It's all in there. Let it fly for a day. Tell your husband or your wife everything that's wrong with them all day long. It's almost tempting, isn't it? Think of all the things that you have to complain about. And just go for it. Now, this is an all-day commitment. Everything out of your mouth, all your thoughts. And then when you're finished with that little exercise, day two, you wake up. And it is all and only gratitude, thanksgiving, faith, hope. From the first word out of your mouth, your first thought should be, You open your eyes, you awaken, thank you, Jesus, for life, for salvation, for every blessing and benefit. Everyone you talk to that day, only optimism, only hope, only faith, only appreciation, only gratitude. Every thought that you think, only thanksgiving, only faith and confidence that God is at work, overseeing every outcome. Now, as you analyze, you're done with the experiment. Now, which of these two days will be better, do you think? Unless you're an absolute sick person and you just love wallowing in your mess. This isn't rocket science. One day, you'd have joy. You'd have peace of mind. You'd have a sense of well-being. The other day, you'd be miserable. One day would be satisfying. There'd be a purposeful fulfillment to that day. It would naturally come and wash over your life. And you just might go to bed that second night feeling better than you have for a very long time. One day would be filled with God's presence. The other day would not. One day would be filled with joy and well-being. The other day would not. You see what I mean about passwords? One gives you access, the other The absence of it denies you access. So there are enemies that will rob you of the joy and the fullness of God's presence. As I've been making the case so far this morning, you can be in the atmosphere of God's presence, but not able to enjoy it. You can be there, but not there. 
Someone next to you could be there. You're not where they're at. They have a password. They came in with gratitude and thanksgiving, and now they're free to really praise God in the way that he should be. It's, it's very difficult to praise God when there's ingratitude, and you're, you're trying out that experiment on the first day in church. Obviously, all the above, the negativity and unbelief and complaining and criticism and pride, all of those are enemies. But I think there's enemies that are beneath the surface that attack the root system of your life. You know, those are the most lethal and deadly sorts of adversaries against plant life. Anything that attacks the root, that attacks the surface, you can trim and cut and treat. Root, much harder sometimes to discern and much more difficult to treat. Three enemies I want to talk to you about. The first one is being satisfied with only a superficial spiritual life. A lifestyle of thanksgiving and praise is indicative of a deeper, richer walk with God. And, of course, a deeper, richer walk with God that has the kind of soil that gratitude can sink roots into is going to cost you. It has a price tag. And the reality is that many are unwilling to pay the price. They're satisfied being a Sunday morning only Christian. They're satisfied without any real deep levels of sacrifice and obedience. They're not, oh, I'm working on a sermon, I think I shared it with you, on the witnessing Christian. There really shouldn't be any other kind. We should all be someone who shares our faith with others. When you're not, it tells me that you are satisfied with a superficial spiritual life. Happy with everything just on the surface. Let life scratch that surface. And you don't find very much of a spiritual dimension beneath the surface. A lot of you have been scratched this last year. Scratched with disappointments and tragedies and difficulties and setbacks and loss, but you scratch the surface, and beneath the surface, there's more of Jesus. There's spiritual depth to the life. And so, you survive, move on, and not only survive, but flourish. Others, you scratch, not much there. That's why... At the first sign of trouble, leave the church, mad at God, break off relationship, no more prayer and read. read. Well, if that's what's going to happen, if that's what I'm going to have to go through in life, why bother serving God anyway? What I said in the introduction, gratitude cannot survive on the surface. It needs depth. The more you press in to acquire a deeper walk with God, the more serious you are about your obedience and faithfulness and a life without compromise, the more grateful you naturally are. Because you have the type of soil that gratitude can be planted in and it sinks roots 
And then you can have a woman like the one I described who's lost her husband, has to spend this Thanksgiving without him, and has to look for and determine and dig deep to express gratitude. She's pulling it off and she's doing it because there are roots there. First sign of trouble, we complain, we moan, we cry, we whine, we snivel. Tells me there's not much depth. If in the midst of trouble, you can't say, God, I thank you. I'm going to pause here in the midst of all the problems. Before I even pray about them, I'm going to thank you for my salvation. I'm going to thank you for your blood. I'm going to thank you for sins forgiven. I'm going to thank you for my home in heaven. I'm going to thank you for the word of God and the foundation of truth and revelation that you built my life on. I'm going to thank you for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the access I have to your power. You could go on quite a long list of things that God is doing and will continue to do, and it immediately changes your demeanor. The second enemy are the choices we make, but I think a better way, that's the way I wrote it in my notes, but I think a better way of saying this would be the choices that we allow life to make for us. Gratitude is a choice, even in frustrating Tragic, hard, difficult situations. It's a choice. Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, chose Thanksgiving uh, in the middle uh, of a gut-wrenching, bloody, uh, death-bearing, tragic war. The nation was, was in a terrible state of affairs. Uh, he chose in the middle of that gratitude. See, we wrongly think that life has the power to make choices for us. Bad things happen, we get angry. What do you expect? Someone offends me, not talking to him. You're allowing life to make your choices about relationships, about love. God doesn't bless me the way that I want him to bless me financially. No more tithing, no more giving. You're allowing life to make decisions for you. You know, the text is spoken without prejudice. It doesn't reference what he might be going through. You know why he doesn't mention it? Because he doesn't matter. He doesn't say, in good times I'll praise him. In bad times I'll be angry. In good times I'll worship him. When I'm offended, I won't forgive. It doesn't matter what he's going through. He says this without prejudice. I'll enter into his gates. And I'll enter into his courts with thanksgiving and with praise. And he doesn't refer to what he may or may not be going through. It doesn't matter. Not allowing life to make choices for me, I can always choose, no matter what's going on in my life, I can always choose thanksgiving. The third enemy is the ever-maddening annoying, aggravating sense of entitlement that is becoming pervasive in our culture. More and more people today feel like they are owed. All they have to do is appear, and by virtue of appearance, every good thing, every blessing should be mine to enjoy. A lot of Christians have a sense of entitlement. doesn't matter how I act, how I think, how I behave, how I talk, how I treat people. 
You want the best marriage? You want the greatest financial blessing? You want all these incredible relationships and friendships? You want God's prayer? We can feel like we're entitled, and it doesn't really matter what we do, what we say, how we think, or where we go. I shared this in the serious men's class. You know, these uh, college, um, uh, university campus protests are supposed to be having something called a million uh, student march. You know, one of the things that they're, that they're advocating for, these are college, supposedly college educated or in the process of getting educated kids. They're advocating for free tuition for everyone who wants college education and to erase all student loans. Uh, no. You want an education, you're going to pay for it. You want something in life, you're going to work for it. You're not entitled. Just because you were born, and you breathe air, and you show up. This mentality is driving employers today crazy. They have interviews. The interview goes well. They feel good. They hire an in, in marches, uh, Mr. or Miss Entitlement, uh, because they have arrived on the scene. They want to raise. They want time off. Whenever they, uh, they, they have a snivel uh, or they stub their toe, uh, they demand this. They demand that. They're entitled. Uh, that's why they can't stay on any job for very long, uh, because there's going to be some point uh, where your demands are not going to be met. You're going to get hired by a real boss uh, who isn't so, you know, sensitive to your feelings. Can you tell I'm venting a little bit? I may be. We're entitled. Not in this life, you're not. You have to earn your way. You have to do more than show up. Think of it. The more you think you're entitled the less grateful you are. Because when you think you're entitled, the boss is never doing enough for you. He should be doing more. He should be paying me more. He should be showing me more respect. When I arrive uh, at work, he should be there with a donut and a cup of coffee, (laughs) bowing down to my magnificence. No, your boss uh, has a vision for you, wants to train you, teach you, He's got all kinds of goodwill, but someone who feels entitled, they don't see any of that. And they're ungrateful. Somehow this has something to do with what I preached. All right, let me close by talking about the training of your soul. Gratitude and thanksgiving is a skill that you have to train yourself toward. It is not our natural defaults. You know, there may be the odd person. They just came out of the womb. Thank you, Mommy, for going through all that pain. Thank you for every bottle, every time you wake up at two. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There may be the odd person who's just naturally grateful. But most of us are not naturally grateful. As a matter of fact, ingratitude and complaining and criticism uh, is part of our fallen nature. Now, we think of skill... And talent in terms of things that we either learn altogether or we take some type of talent that we seem to have been born with and then we develop it. And I marvel at the skill that people are able to learn, develop, and discipline themselves towards. Surgeons that operate on the heart 
or the brain or some other part of your body. Athletes who have these incredible athletic abilities and prowess. Artists who can sculpt and paint. Carpenters who are really artists with wood. All of these learn their skills and practice them over time to become expert. David's men were described as those who were expert in war. They trained, they developed their skills uh, uh, and their abilities. There are soul skills that you have to train yourself toward. These are things that don't come naturally. You have to learn. A lot of things come naturally to our fallen nature that are contrary uh, to our best uh, interest. No one has to teach you how to mishandle an offense. Nobody has to teach anyone how to express hatred. It's called the easy sin. No training required. Our new life in Christ represents a whole new way of living. Faith, love, forgiveness. All of those require practice, lest we default back to our old ways. Ephesians says uh, that you put off concerning your former conduct, your old man which grows corrupt according uh, to deceitful lusts, uh, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our sinful instincts drive us in the wrong direction. They come naturally to us. The attributes of the old man are not skills in that sense because they come naturally. All the attributes of our new nature, our new man in Christ, are skills that we have to reinforce, choose, and work at disciplining ourselves to to develop and to express. And all of us are in training to that end. That's why the church is such a good atmosphere. You don't leave a church when you get offended. You forgive and love and remain in place. That's how you get fixed, and that's how you grow, and that's how you mature and develop. So we're talking here today about the skill of gratitude. Three practical things that you need to do in order to develop that skill. Number one, you need to repent. All of us do and keep on repenting. Listen, there's a constant need. That's why we advocate daily prayer. That's why we advocate be in every service, answer every altar call. You take a shower once or twice a day to clean the outward. How much more do you think the inward gets polluted and soiled? There's a constant need for cleansing. We live in a hostile, unforgiving, unclean, sinful world. We're in contact with it every day. Every day requires cleansing or we will begin to reflect the world that we live in. Is there any attitude, any thought, any imagination in your life that is not of God? Don't let it linger beyond this altar. And I say that because... Thanksgiving and gratitude needs cleansing. It can't express itself when there's anger and unforgiveness and frustrations of life and you're mad at God. There has to be cleansing so that the atmosphere can be right for gratitude to express itself. Secondly, you have to discipline your thoughts. When you discipline your thoughts, words and actions will follow. The text is a reflection of how the psalmist is thinking. These are his thoughts written down. 
begins in prayer. You should rehearse a portion of your prayer every morning. It should be to list things you're grateful for. Thank God for it. Name names. Name circumstances. Name what God has done. Voice it. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. And if you think about it, you could go on for a good amount of time. And once you establish that, you're on your way to having a great day. And then thirdly, finally, let's talk about that one-day challenge. No, no, not the first one that I gave you. I don't want you to do that. But starting today, starting right now, every thought, every word, every gesture, every action we take, let it reflect how grateful and thankful we are. You have to choose this. You have to develop this as a skill. Everything in your fallen nature will take you in a wrong direction, just like your flesh. If you're an athlete, you're a runner, you're a basketball, a football, a player, a wrestler, each type of athletic event has its own sort of discipline. You leave your flesh to itself. It'll take you in a wrong direction. You won't be able to complete Pete. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. The scripture says, serve the Lord with gladness. And of course, I'm not advocating a one-day challenge and then no more, but a lifelong challenge starting now, today, at this altar. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God is good. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Perhaps you're here today. Before we do anything else, open the altar for any other purpose. Maybe you're here this morning. You're not saved. You're not right with God. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know their sin. Maybe some of what I ministered makes so much sense to you. Sin is synonymous with ingratitude and complaining and criticism and blaming. It's all kinds of internal mess that contributes to your disposition. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you know you need Jesus. You know you need to repent. You know you need forgiveness. You know you need love, God's love. He loves you. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, perhaps you're here this morning, you're not saved, you're not right, but you want to get right and you want to be right, I want to ask you, please, lift your hand so that I can pray for you. I need Jesus. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God in Jesus' name. Would you lift your hand right up and put it right back down all over this building? Maybe you're visiting today. Maybe you've never been here or been in an atmosphere like this or been challenged in this way. But there's something about the service today, the ministry, the message, and what you're feeling right now that all resonates. This is what I need in my life. I need forgiveness. Sin is the problem. There's something inside of me that's the issue. And I'm going to quit blaming everybody else and making excuses for my bad behavior. I'm going to God right now to repent and to receive him. Would you lift your hand up? Lift it up. Let me pray. Maybe you're backslidden. You once 
gave your life to Christ, but you know you're not serving God right now. You know that. You're not right with God. There's sin in your life. Maybe it was born out of an attitude and a heart of ingratitude. It does lead to backsliding, evidences that you're on the wrong road. Gratitude was only on the surface, and now there's no room on the surface of your life for gratitude because all the problems have taken precedent and taken over. And you know your heart's not right. You didn't enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise today. You're losing access. You're being denied access to that joyful, wonderful, magnificent transcendent presence of Almighty God because you don't have the password. And maybe what you feel you need to do right now is you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. And if that's you and that's what you want to do, I want to ask you to let me pray for you. Lift your hand. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right. In Jesus' name, lift your hand right up. Lift it right up. All right. This is a great altar to respond to for every one of us here today. Life is going to be a challenge. You discovered how healthy your soul is this morning. And maybe this altar is a place you need to repent. You need to get control of your thoughts and get them under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And you need to make choices. You need to get in training this morning. That's what you need to do. All training has a start-up date. I'm going to begin training for this at this time. Sports teams have training camps. We need to train ourselves to be grateful. Make sure that we haven't located gratitude on the surface and it doesn't take very much to blow it off. Why don't we all stand this morning? It's a wonderful presence and grace and love of God here. You need to come to this altar, capture gratitude. Let's repent. Maybe we've, we don't need to be challenged for the negativity on that first day because that's already how we're living pretty much. Maybe not every thought and imagination and word, but too much, far too much. And it's spoiling your day. You're not connecting the dots between your agitation and your anxiety and the fact you can't sleep and have no peace to the absence of gratitude. But there are dots that connect. Quality of your marriage is going to be reflected by how thankful you are for your husband and your wife and how grateful you are for your children and to the God who saved you both. God, I pray this morning that you cleanse my heart from all the enemies. The enemy of a shallow, superficial life, Lord. I want depth. I want more of you. I want to be more serious about obedience. No longer compromising my faith being very careful how I live and how I handle sacred and holy things. Lord, I am not going to allow life to make choices for me anymore. I'm going to rise above to the transcendent power and ability that God has given me to overcome offense and tragedy and setback with victory and joy and dominion.